Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes. Hey, Super Achievers. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Beth Watson. Beth created Navigating Challenging Dialogue out of her personal process of examining the ways in which traditional leadership skills fail the mission and goals of organizations. Welcome, Beth. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this dialogue. Well, I am very interested in your navigating challenging dialogue. So could you share a little bit about your background and what brought you to navigating challenging dialogue and what it is? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I started my career in education, public education. Uh, I often say I'm a recovering high school principal. (laughs) even though that was a very long time ago. And what really brought me to this was when I decided to leave my position in public school administration, I went to work for a consulting organization. And I rose really quickly up through the ranks because I was super technically good at what I did. So like many people, I got promoted based on technical skill and ability, but I knew nothing about human growth and development, uh, social and emotional intelligence, how to work with the humans in the organization. So I got promoted to be the leader of the team that I was on. And we had this deal where every Thursday night when I was a member of the team, we'd go out and complain about leadership. And when I got promoted the first Thursday night, I looked around for all my colleagues to find out where we're going. And uh, they were gone because I was now leadership. So I began to become aware that one thing that was creating disconnection, not only at work, but in a lot of places in my life, was the fact that I had a very low level of emotional awareness. And so things that were giving me what I call emotional hotspots were making me react to situations in ways that were not in the best interest of the good of the whole, were not creating connection, and were creating more isolation in my life. And so over time, um, I began looking at different types of social and emotional intelligence, different methodologies. And I really began this path of becoming as aware as I possibly could about what happens in my brain, how it sets me off, and what I can do to mitigate that. So all of that work got rolled into the program that um, my company has trademarked and we offer for individuals and for teams and for leaders. And that's called Navigating Challenging Dialogue. Ooh. So can you share a little bit about how emotions, stories, thinking errors, and fears impact our ability to experience a positive work environment? Yeah, I'd love to. So what happens? I mean, it's pretty simple and we've all kind of heard about this, but we don't think about it that often. So in the back of our brain, you know, we have the amygdala, which is really the first part of our um, brain that evolved. Uh, And what happens when our amygdala senses that we're at risk, we're vulnerable, we need to protect ourselves, is it sends messages down to our adrenal glands. And our adrenal glands, which are behind our kidneys, 
send out adrenaline and cortisol. And this is a very simplified overview of the process, right? So right. don't don't like do surgery based on what I'm telling you. <laughs> and uh, and so as the adrenaline and the cortisol shoots through our system, it deve- it creates physical symptomology. So and different from person to person could be heart rate increase. Could be feeling pressure in your chest. Um, people talk about stomach things, butterflies in their stomach. And some people have really specific symptoms. I work with one client who gets a pain in her big left toe when she's going into the state that we call fight or flight. The wow. other thing that happens, however, is that the side of your brain that's about empathy, creating connection, being curious and asking questions. Um, collaboration, all the oxygen-rich blood stops going there. And where it goes is to the side of your brain that's responsible for fight, flight, or freeze. Now, most of us associate that with saber-toothed tiger's going to eat my baby type of scenarios. But what's coming forward now uh, more and more in the research is that we also, or more often, get those emotional hotspots created by fear of someone attacking my value system, my reputation, my sense of self, right? All of those types of things, my income, my connection, my my sense of loss, right? Fear of losing friends and family and that type of things. So it's really fascinating because um, what happens in those moments is we forget to get curious, to ask questions, to test my assumptions, right? So am I, is what I'm, am I um, basing my reaction on facts or am I basing my reaction on stories that are creating fear in me? So I'll give you a really quick example. When I decided to leave my most recent position with a company, I knew that I wanted to go into business for myself. I also knew that I wanted to buy a house. So I bought a house right before I resigned. And when I resigned, I only had one consulting contract for $750. And now I had a mortgage. I had expenses. But I knew that I had three months worth of mortgage payments in the bank, a refrigerator full of food, And I had that $750 contract that meant that if somebody wanted to work with me, probably more people would also. So I would wake up in the middle of the night going, oh my God, what have I done? And my uh, fight or flight, right? My take action would go through all these jumping uh, gymnastics. I should get a job. I shouldn't have done this. I'm going to end up starving and broke. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to end up living under the bridge. Right? And I would go into total panic mode. But when I grounded myself in the facts of what were true, I have one contract for $750. I have three months worth of reserves in the bank. And I know that I have a list of people that I haven't contacted who probably will also want to work with me. So then I could calm that emotional hotspot down so that I could take action and make decisions based on reality versus the future tripping that I was doing about what might happen 
and I have no idea if it's even true. So for me, that was a huge lesson. And as I began doing coaching with executives and employees that were struggling and all of this, I began to also see all of that future tripping occurring in them. And I knew that what I had to do first was teach them how to get emotionally clean and clear so that they could react effectively versus respond from this crazy emotional space as I had done for 13 years of leadership. So that's yeah. that's my story. <laughs> wow. I love that you call it future tripping too, because that's basically what it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did not coin that. Um, I learned that from um, a friend quite a while ago who said to me, Beth, you're always future tripping. And I'm like, ooh, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. to me. Yeah. Oh, wow. So how do we develop the self-awareness that we that's necessary really to thrive in the workplace? Well, uh, this is the system that I use and I subscribe to. So the fact that um, all of this going to the side of our brain, which is about reacting, right, getting defensive, uh, shutting down, withholding information, trying to be invisible, not showing up, right? That's, that's truly the fight, flight, or freeze side of the brain. Right. We want, we want to be in that rest and digest side of the brain, which is mm. where things are easeful, right? Things are peaceful. We can think through. We can look at the facts. We can collaborate. We can be curious. And so the first thing that happens is the oxygen-rich blood gets rerouted in the opposite place. So the very first thing we want to do is to begin bringing in oxygen in a way that makes sense, in a way that helps us restore balance. So you can do that by inhaling through your nose, going all the way down into your lungs with that oxygen. And as you exhale through your mouth, you focus on releasing tension, releasing the physical symptomology that you're feeling in your body. And at the same time, identifying what are the facts. And when I talk about facts, I talk about what exists that if you took a Polaroid, I hope people know what a Polaroid is, <laughs> um, but an instant snapshot of um, the situation, what would you see? So you could hear that that's what I did in my example, right? I, I looked at what is true in this moment, what exists unquestionably. I have three months of money in the bank. I have a $750 contract. And I have a bunch of people I haven't inquired with yet who would probably want to work with me if they knew I was available. Yeah. Right. And so right. that brings it, everything back down into reality. The other thing that I highly recommend, and this is like magic right here, and, and it sounds so silly, but it's the truth. Your frontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that really is newly getting developed, like on an evolutionary scale, this part of our brain is relatively new in terms of it getting developed and us understanding all the things it does. That part of your brain cannot hold a negative emotion and gratitude simultaneously. Ooh. So as you list those facts, 
Think about what you're grateful for. Now, when we're triggered, it's super hard to identify what we're grateful for. So I say, be grateful for the pillow. Be grateful for the blankets that are on top of you. Hmm. Be grateful for the beating of your heart. Your heart's been with you since six weeks after conception, doing its job day in and day out. Every single moment of the day without you even asking it to. So when you can find nothing else to be grateful for, listen for or imagine that you can hear your heartbeat and just be grateful for that. Mm. I'm so relaxed now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the other thing that we're learning about the heart is it has 45,000 neurotransmitters that work similarly to our brain. And our heart waves actually extend further outside our body than our brain waves do. Mm-hmm. Some researchers say seven times further outside our body. And so your heart waves are constantly going out into the world, picking up information and bringing it back into your system, right? Some people call it intuition. Some people call it gut instinct. But that's actually what's happening. When those messages get into our brain, We have the ability to manipulate them with our thinking brain. And that's where we put in our experiences from the past and our fears about the future, right? Right. It will never work. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We tried this seven years ago, and it didn't work then. We shouldn't try it again. Or the really big stories like you go to the parking garage to walk to your car at 8 o'clock at night. You get a funny feeling that something isn't right. And your brain says, don't be ridiculous. You've done this walk a million times before. How embarrassing would it look to go get the security guard to walk to your car with you? Just keep going. And we override that messaging. And sometimes something is actually really lurking out there. And we hear it on the news all the time. And we hear so many people go, I had a feeling. Right. That reminds me of uh, Gavin De Becker. Have you read that? Uh, the gift, of, the gift of fear by Gavin De Becker. Oh, nice. I'm always looking for those. Yes. That's about that in particular. Listening to that little voice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you know, one tendency that I have, and I don't know where I picked it up, and it doesn't matter. That's the interesting thing about these core patterns of behavior. Usually, you got them before you were age seven ish. Uh which is kind of a golden age because that's when our brain really begins to be able to put words to thoughts, right? And define Mm -hmm. them and to feelings and emotion. So before age seven, we're really just picking up vibrational energy that we can't quite assign language to. So for me, a thing that I, I know it's a core pattern of mine, when something is easy, I look for ways to make it hard. So right now I'm going through a process of um, selling a home that I had purchased for my daughter and her young family to get their their feet, you know, on the ground in. They were my tenants, but they've moved on. And so I don't need to retain this home. I put it on the market. I got a full price offer in like six days. Wow. My tendency is to now make that hard right? Oh, <laughs> is there a reason I shouldn't take this? 
Is it too easy? Is it too easeful? So that's a tendency that I have. And I was talking to my realtor this morning and I'm like, I am going to completely resist the urge to make this hard. It's a really great offer. It's exactly what I wanted. Therefore, I'm just going to accept it. I'm not going to overcomplicate it with my fears about the future, my fear that maybe there's something better or I'm not being smart simply because it was easy. Right. Sit in that gratitude. Yes. Sit in yeah. the gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> so what are, what are some behaviors or attitudes that are common within just being ineffective in the workplace? Oh my gosh. So let's, let's use an example. Um, that is a real one from my work. Um, the leader, you know, the boss comes out and walks around where the whole team is and says, okay, I've got this special project. You, you, and you, I want you to come with me because you're going to work on this project. I don't get picked. And so I sit there making up all these stories because maybe back when I was a baby, you know, my mother had a had another child after me, a younger child. And when I went to my mother in the same way that I did uh, all the time, she said, not now, honey, I've got to take care of the baby. Right. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, I look at that and I go, huh, yeah, it makes total sense. Baby's brand new. I'm three or four years old. I can wait a little while longer. But the resonance of what we pick up because we didn't have language then can be around being rejected or not included, right? And so when the manager comes out and the same kind of a thing happens, you don't get included in something, you can feel that vibration and it feels familiar, but maybe you can't, you don't have any words for it. And so it begins the amygdala, I'm at risk. I'm sending the message down to the um, adrenal glands. Now the adrenaline and cortisol is shooting out, right? And now you feel like I either have to take action, right? Storm in there. Hey, why didn't you pick me? Why am I good enough? (laughs) Or go on a job board, right? Start searching for a new job. I'm out of here. That's the flight part. Or the shrinking part is I'll show them. I'm just not going to provide any information for this, or I'm not going to hit that deadline or whatever. And not every situation is identically um, an emotional hotspot for everyone else. So that could be one person's hotspot. Another person's hotspot could be being interrupted in a meeting, getting talked over, making an assumption about um, why they didn't get invited to, to go somewhere. It's all different. So the importance is to pay attention and notice what familiar feelings you get in your body and what you notice as patterns. So you can say, oh, that's fascinating. I'm feeling an emotional hotspot right now. (laughs) Yep. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to ground my feet on the floor. I'm going to identify what the true facts are, and then I'm going to become curious. I'm going to do some inquiry about my assumptions. So that's the navigating challenging dialogue process. Be Mm. fascinated and be curious. I love that because the brain makes statements and we can circumvent that by asking questions. Yes, it's a brain hack. It's hacking the brain. 
And sometimes it's super valuable. And sometimes it gets us into a big, giant mess. So <laughs> whenever you feel yourself saying, oh, darn it, you know what? I did that again. I thought I was over this. I thought because what happens when we react from the hot spot is then we go into a pattern of shame and guilt. And so we either have to backtrack and apologize or make amends or clean it up, or we have to disconnect from the situation, right? We have to hold our ground. You know, I know that I had an irrational reaction. However, I'm going to stand firmly in the fact that it was justified. Yeah. And so we then experience disconnection, which is even more triggering. Disconnection is more triggering. We were created to be connected because connection is survival. If you get ostracized from the tribe or the clan or the group way back in the day before we evolved, that was certain death. You could not survive on your own. So on a very primal level, disconnection feels incredibly threatening. Mm. So is connection the biggest secret that everyone should know? I think the biggest secret that everyone should know is that we have an ingrained protection device that keeps us protecting ourselves. And sometimes it isn't warranted. It isn't rational and it isn't real. And so hacking that, and I always say grace is in the space, taking a minute, taking half an hour, taking a day, taking a year to go through the process of identifying what the facts are, calming down that triggering, and then being able to respond with curiosity is, is the key to everything, everything. Oh, I love that. Such wise words you've shared with us. Is there any final piece of advice or anything else you'd like to share? Well, this is a mission for me. This is my purpose. It's my team's purpose. It's why we show up. And so anybody who's interested in learning more can go to ncdprocess.com. And there is a free 18-minute workshop that um that I lead with some discovery questions and anybody can go there and can get that for free. And I completely welcome you, encourage you to go ahead and do it. And it will help you begin this process of getting clear and clean in your thinking. It goes deep, deeper into the process. It's available and open for everybody. Oh, thank you. Well, and thank you so much for joining us today, Beth. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to hearing how people learn and grow through, through the process. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Beth, visit her website at bethwanson.com. Did you know that time is not your most limiting resource? To find out how to increase your productivity and have more time to do the things you love, visit secrettosuperproductivity.com.